Welcome to another episode of Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm your host, Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. How's it going, Derek? <laughs> it's going good. How was your week? <laughs> it was a it was a good week. It's a, the weather is like midsummer weather, and it's odd for uh, well now we're June, but it was May. Yeah, it's been uh, a couple of hot days, and then now it's cooled off a little bit. So uh, yes, uh, turning into I think a nice month. My lawn is dying. <laughs> Honestly, like, I usually have a green lawn this time of year, and everything is dry as a bone. That's nah, not good. Nope. Do you nope. know you got a green hose in your garage? Well, I'm not going to waste water on my lawn. I just let just it, let it die? Yeah, just let it die. Oh, Look, it'll gold. come back. Golden lawn. You're a <laughs> exactly. rich guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> your theory. <laughs> I'm, I'm rich. See, I've got a golden, I got golden grass. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There, there's your, you can use that. <laughs> yeah. The kids are going to hurt themselves if they fall in the lawn, though. It's hard as a rock. I'll teach them. <laughs> Don't fall when you run. <laughs> figure, figure that's a no-brainer. Yes, yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, last week, we were talking about the ranger cabins in Algonquin Park. Yes, we did bring that up. You, uh, it, it had come up, we talked about the, uh, about the cabins, and uh, we had discussed this, like, well, you know, we should see about a route. And we did. <laughs> <laughs> we took our Algonquin Park map, laid it out on the floor, and we pinpointed all 14... Ranger cabins in Algonquin Park. Yes. And we decided we'd see where the best place to start was and how you could hit all the ranger cabins in one giant canoe trip. Unfortunately, uh, three of the cabins you cannot get to on this route. Not easily. Not without not, having yeah. a car ride into it. In the middle. Car ride and lots of walking yeah. and... Um, Lost Coin, Bissett, and Crooked Shoot Cabins. Yes. They're in the upper northeast part of the park. And you got to drive around the top of the park. And then there's, uh, what was it, a eight, six kilometer portage and a two kilometer or a, a maintained car an, trail? Yeah, there's an eight and a six. So you about two kilometers into the eight, you curve off and take the six kilometer car trail and you get to Lost Coin. And when I was looking at this last night, I'm thinking, why is that still a maintained cabin? It's hard to get to. It's out in the middle of nowhere. And it's not like people would hunt from it because it's inside the park. You can't hunt there. Only the natives can. So it's like, why do they maintain this cabin? But anyways, I, I'm, my curiosity's peaked. I might have to somehow get to it by bicycle, maybe. Brook trout. It's brook that's, trout lakes. That's a long haul just for some brook trout. There's brook yeah. trout are easier to get. Yeah, but if you know it's a place like that that no one's going to go. I suppose it's going right? to be, shouldn't be fished out, I guess. You would hope. <laughs> so, so we, we uh, sat down, we made a big loop, and it is actually possible to hit, what is it, 11? 11 of them. Of the well, 14. Yeah. But. 11 means two of them are on one leg, so it's sort of. Yeah. You're not gonna... There's the Brent Ranger cabin. And the Brent Deputy Ranger Cabin. They're both on Cedar Lake and they're both pretty close together. Yeah, you could throw a rock from one and hit the other. Yeah, so you're you're going to stay at one or the other. I don't think you're going to want to stay at one one night and then pack all your gear up and move <laughs> half a kilometer down the road yes. and set up in another one. So basically you're hitting nine cabins. And the route we, the easiest route by the looks of it that we took... It's going to take you 15 days, and then you can throw in a couple of rest days. Now, for those that are listening and are not into canoe tripping, I'll just say, this is usually how a canoe trip starts. <laughs> um, somebody asks a question, could I wonder we? if we could do this. <laughs> and then a map comes out, yeah. and the answer, yeah, it could be done. So... <laughs> Uh, at some point, I am sure that question, I wonder if we could hit all the cabins, is going to turn into a canoe trip. I guarantee we're not the first to do this. I would think not. <laughs> I mean, considering how, I mean, how long ago, how many of these cabins existed, 
Um, this is this is what they did. They went from cabin to cabin to cabin yeah. as the rangers, right? Exactly. Yeah, the rangers would be doing the patrols of the park because you know there wasn't back in the day there wasn't air air patrols or, or whatever. They would actually be doing these routes and maintaining whatever routes by staying in these cabins. And then they'd be gone a couple weeks at a time themselves. Yeah, and I mean to to do this this route. I mean you're looking at 15 days, and it covers a massive chunk of Algonquin Park. Absolutely. Um, so when we were looking at the route to take, it seemed the easiest point was to start at access point 22 on the east side, which is the Acre, uh, campground. Yes. So you put in there. Now you, if you're going to do this route, uh, a couple things to consider is you're going to have to have somebody drop you off because you basically cover from the east side of Algonquin Park right across to the western border of yeah. Algonquin Park. And unless you so wanna, you're, you're crossing the entire park. And unless you want to drive all the way back to pick up your car, it's best to be dropped off. Yeah. So you'll drop somebody. Somebody's got to drop you off there. And then you either have your vehicle waiting or somebody's picking you up at the end of the trip in a, in a, in a couple of a few weeks. Um, but just to go through, there there's a couple of nights that are not going to be at a cabin. It's basically, you're going to stay at a halfway point between a couple of cabins. Um, the beginning section of the trip and the end section of the trip are a bit more difficult because there's a lot of unmaintained portages. And they're unmaintained because they're either not a popular area for canoe trippers to go or... It's just been a while since it's been, yeah, so you it's, know, just no popularity. They want to close the routes down. Yeah, well, on the part of the on the part of the rangers and on the part of the park, it's it's uh, it's not cost effective to maintain these routes when so few people do use them. But the, the yeah. routes are still accessible. Like you can still oh, go yeah. through these. The, the, they just may not be may not pull the down trees off them or, or whatever. So you may have to climb over a couple deadfalls and whatnot. But they're still accessible. You can still go through these routes. Yeah. So. So it's, it's actually, there is a route to do it and you start on the east side and you dip a little bit to the south and then straight north, uh, to the north end of the park, across the north end of a park and then southwest to the Midwestern border to, to Rain Lake is where you finish. Um, so you do cover a big chunk of land, a lot of it's smaller lakes and, uh, but there are, are a couple bigger, bigger lakes to go through as well. Uh, so when you get dropped off at Acre, you paddle down Grand Lake through Carcajou Bay, uh, and Spectacle Lakes, and then you end up, your first night is at the Wenda Lake Cabin. And that's your access day. That's your first day. Your first day. Drop off, Wenda Lake Cabin. And it's, it's a short haul. It's not too bad. It's just a couple hours. No, but when you're doing, when you're beginning a big trip like this, you, you want a quick, well, not necessarily a yeah, quick day, but you want an easier day that's. Going to get your exactly. legs going, right? Because by the time you get uh, all geared up, you're, somebody's dropped you off and taken off, you're you're probably hitting the water mid-afternoon, so you don't want a long paddle day on the first day. No, no. Uh, so the second day, you're going from Wenda. You go through the Carcajou Lake and Barren Lake up to White Partridge Lake. Now, this would be your first um, lake that is no ranger cabin on it. Yes. So you're camping in your tent. Uh the next day, you're going from White Partridge Lake through Dixon to McCaskill Lake Cabin. Yes. Uh, where you'll spend the night again. Yeah, and the, I, the McCaskill Lake Cabin is one of the few that I've actually stayed at. And, um, yeah, I've, I haven't been to that one. That one is one of the more popular ones. It is. And there's a cart trail that takes you right to it. When we uh, when we got there, there was a group of guys just leaving. They had accessed uh, McCaskill Lake Cabin via cart trail. They had uh, come in by with bicycles and trailers. Yeah, and there's a couple of them that you can do that. A couple of them you can drive right into. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so from Kitty Lake, or sorry, uh, McCaskill, you it's just a little hop, skip, and a jump over to Kitty Lake Cabin, and then from Kitty Lake Cabin, it's another hop, skip, and a jump to Tatler Lake Cabin. So a couple easy days. Yeah, those are a couple of really easy days. Ends up being rest days, more or less. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you know, off, uh, away from the first cabin at, no- at uh, noon and you're there, you know, two. within two hours. Yeah. You know, so they're they're pretty easy paddles and there's no hurry on those days. So by that point, by the time you get into Tatler, you're, 
you got your paddling arms going and you're, <laughs> you're ready to go. You're all warmed up and limber and ready to go. From Tadler Lake, you're heading north. This is where you start heading north. Uh, and you spend your first uh, northern trip toward, to uh, Opiongo on the north arm. The big lake. The big lake. First big lake on your, your northern uh, leg of this trip. Uh, and then from Opiongo, you're making it to uh, Big Crow Cabin. Do you have to go through the big portage for that one? This four kilometer, five kilometer portage? That, yeah, well, that's that's, Hogan, that's, right? that's uh, up to Hogan, yeah. yeah. Um, big Crow, you go from, from Opiongo, you can go into Pruel, and then you go into the Big Crow River. Okay. And the Big Crow River is really windy. And it, it, you don't think it takes you a long time, but it just seems to drag forever. It's, it's hairpin after hairpin after hairpin, and you just go, 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 go. It's like it'll never end. Yeah, with some of those river routes, it is deceptive. I've done the Tim River, and you think, oh, that's going to take a couple hours, and it ends up taking eight hours. It's, it's with all the switchbacks on the river, you really, you really have to take into account all the switchbacks on the river for time-wise. Yeah, it, it's really deceiving. So that I mean, if you wanted to go from Tatler to Big Crow. You could push it. It'd be a really long day, but if 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 it's hot, uh, and I uh, the, the couple times I've been in Big Crow, it's always been. I mean, it's wide open, right? And it's always been hot, and the flies, the bugs. It's just like no, you stop stop at Opiongo, and then make the the next night your Big Crow cabin yeah, night. And it's a safety move too, by not expecting yourself to go too far. You're you're gonna self compensate for any bad weather or any any complications throughout the route. Yeah, and Opiongo is known for its uh, big waves. winds as, as yeah. well. So Now, after a great night at Big Crow, um, which you could use Big Crow as, as a layover night if you wanted, mm-hmm. um, but then you end up going up to Catfish Lake. And again, this is a tenting night. There's no cabin there. And Catfish might be a good one to do a rest day on because they got the uh, alligator. Oh yes, the old steam yeah. tug there, yeah. uh, log to, that used to haul the logs. There's a an old uh, wreck of one mm-hmm. on one of the islands, so that'd be a good uh, lake to to check around. And then from Catfish, you get a nice um, jaunt up to Cedar Lake, which includes uh, cat between Catfish and and Cedar Lake is Big Unicorn Hill. Oh yes. <laughs> I've oh, never done it, but I've heard you tell me about it a couple times. It's like, yeah. sounds like it's nasty. My legs hurt just thinking about <laughs> it. So when you get from Catfish, you get up to Cedar Lake. Cedar Lake has the old Brent Township on it. There's some buildings left. There's a store. Uh, there's a small campground there. Um, and it's got the Brent Ranger Cabin and the Brent Deputy, Deputy Ranger Cabin there. So you can have your pick of one of the two to stay at. And that's a big lake as well. Um the winds get, get funneled down from the northwest uh, in the afternoons, and, and the waves can really pick up mm-hmm. on Cedar Lake. So after a great night on Cedar Lake at the Brent Cabin, <laughs> uh, from Brent to Kiosk, um, there, the, the middle section is, uh, there's Koshan Lake, and that would be a good little lake to stay on between the two. So you're not pushing yourself. And it's a safety thing because, like I say, with the winds coming up in the afternoon, if you hit the bigger lakes absolutely, and that wind's coming down, that's just, that, that's a hassle to, to try to, to paddle down. Yeah, give you some squeeze time in your schedule. Yeah. So you stay you stay the night at Cochon and uh, then the next day you make it to uh, Kiosk Ranger Cabin and uh, spend the night there and maybe spend an extra day there, you know, a, a layover day. And from there... You start to, that's that's the northern part you're going to hit uh, of the park. You're right at the northern border of, of Algonquin there. Um, now we start to head uh, southwest. Yes, all downhill from there. All downhill, yeah. Um, you go from Kiosk to the Birchcliff Lake Cabin. And Birchcliff is one of the ones that I know people stay at. Mm-hmm. And a quick little skip jump from there on the Nipissing River is Highview Ranger Cabin. Birchcliff and Highview Ranger Cabins are two of the ones that I know a lot of people that have gone there. That seems to be a popular one because either way, you're taking a couple days to get to High to Highview, at least a day or more to get to Birchcliff, depending which way you're coming in. 
and they're out of the way. And the Nipissing River, you, there's there's fishing and there's exploring and and everything. So that's a that's a good one to stay at the high view. Then it gets back into the end of the trip where there's a lot of unmaintained portages. So we we debated whether you go from Highview Ranger Cabin to spend a night on Tim Lake or Roseberry Lake. And it just comes down to your preference. Do you want to do a bunch of small unmaintained portages or a couple longer unmaintained portages? And we sort of came to the conclusion that it would be the longer portages and stay the evening at uh, Roseberry Lake. Yes. Which would be fine. Um, again, it's a tenting night. And it's the last night to sow your wild oats and say, <laughs> <laughs> say this is the last night. Have the big campfire. Yeah. Eat whatever you're, you know, you don't want to carry the next day. The next day route. And the next day, well, no, well, actually, no, no. the next, the next day, day is you're at Rain Lake. Next day is the last cabin at Rain Lake Cabin, which is access point four. Mm -hmm. And that's where somebody's picking you up or your vehicle is going to be waiting there. And you spend the night there. And then you're out the next day. Yes. And uh, hopefully, you know, with not too much. Uh, so we're talking 10 cabins here. I was just thinking that uh, when you do rent cabins, they give you a key. No, they do. I've done it. They give me. They've given me a key for the cabins because they're well. They've got the locked. code locks now. Do they put the codes yeah. on? There's four. The, there's four little tumblers. Well, that's good. The numbers, like the old briefcases, your dad used to yeah, have. Yeah. Right? Okay. Because in the, when I when I stayed at McCaskill, they gave me a key to the cabin, and I'm thinking, man, you're gonna have ten keys on a big key ring to go through the park. <laughs> yeah. No. When we were back in uh, October, when we zipped by to check out the uh, Crow Lake cabin. Yeah. There was a lock on the door and it had the little tumblers on the bottom. Well, that's that good you spin because the it's, uh, it's hard to keep control of keys. Yeah. So it's better to have the all and If the you drop them over once. Yeah. You're pooched. <laughs> for the rest of your trip. <laughs> but I suppose there's now the risk that uh, anybody who knows the codes can just go and use the cabins. Yeah. I don't know if they rotate them or not, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Um, so just to do the trip, we're looking at 15 days. Yeah. And you want to throw in a couple of rest days, exploration days, and, and whatnot in there. So I'm thinking you're looking at three weeks. Yeah, for with rest days and whatnot, yeah, you're looking. And, and that gives you a little bit of a buffer. So you're going to be, even as a minimum, you're like two and a half weeks. So you might as well make it three weeks, have a couple yeah. of rest days, and enjoy the trip. Yeah, you might as well. And uh, you could do the resupply up at Cedar at the Brent store. You know, that that wouldn't be an issue. And I think it'd be great. It would be. It would be a good, nice trip. I, I think we should. Anybody that wants to go on this trip, give us drop us a line. We'll we'll set up a route. We'll set up a trip. Yeah. You know what? Let's do that. We'll uh, put something <laughs> together and see how many people we can get and uh, see what happens. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Now, Derek, I know that you have a, a penchant for Kickstarter projects. Yes. Um, I know you, you are always telling me about different little Kickstarters that you've seen and think things are cool and you'd like to get one of those and you'd like to get one of these and one of those and well, one of these. Kickstarter is a unique platform where if you have whatever idea, people go to Kickstarter and, and if you have enough interest, enough people to buy in on it, you can, you can raise your, your, your money to begin a project instead of... 
instead of coming up with a million on your own and going to the bank, you actually have people pre-purchase. And it, it's it's an easy way to get a product on the market. And it's uh, for the people who are buying it, you're, you're buying a unique product that uh, is limited edition at the first. And, you know, most, most items would go on to a larger manufacturer afterwards. Yeah, and hopefully that uh, original one you buy is going to be decent. Yes, and that's the risk with Kickstarter. Kickstarter is uh, has a huge risk. I haven't been bitten yet from the few things that I've purchased, but I've heard stories of people who have uh, who have paid their money and then nothing has come of it, and they're out their money. So it's there is a risk. Now I'm you know I do the light painting photography at night, and uh, one of the things that was a Kickstarter was the pixel stick. Yes, and I love that thing. It's a pretty neat tool. It really is. So, like I say, I, I know you like Kickstarters. You might like this one. It's called the Bluefin 14, and it is a nesting sea kayak by Pakayak. Yes, I saw this. Uh, I remember, I recall seeing this on uh, Gear Junkies. Gear Junkies. Yeah, you, this is where I found it, because you passed me that link to Gear Junkies, mm -hmm. which is, is going to be talked about later. Um, gear junkies has a bunch of gear and one of the, and they got a, a thing new, the latest things that are out there. And I saw this, um, ad for the bluefin 14 and it's a nesting, uh, sea kayak that it takes apart. It's a 14 foot hard shell touring kayak, weighs 55 pounds, uh, has a max capacity of 275 pounds. And it goes from 14 feet, and when you take it apart in six segments, one, two, three, yeah, yeah six segments, six segments, and it all nests together, uh, basically like a bunch of uh, Dixie cups, all exactly. one inside the other, to three feet, six inches. It comes with a pack that you can throw it on your back and carry it like a backpack, or you can put wheels on it and tote it along. It th fits into the trunk of a convertible yeah. trunk of a car so, so you don't need the roof racks and yeah and everything and i figure this would be ideal for people who it, it, in the past when i've looked at uh, doing some northern trips like uh and i've done a few trips north where the uh, the float planes only allow one canoe so if there's uh if there's two canoe goings then the plane has to do two trips so they're yeah. By law, legally, they're only allowed to carry one canoe at a time mounted onto the pontoons. But this here would pack inside the cabin, and you could have, you know, as many as was fit that would load inside the cabin. So you're not limited. And I've looked into these before, not this hard shell one, but in the inflatable kayaks and inflatable canoes. Yeah. I was never really... I didn't have much buy-in on that. I, I, I'd like to try one, but I was always unsure because if you punch a hole in your inflatable kayak or canoe, you better have a decent uh, backcountry repair kit. And uh, But this one here, it's, uh, it's such a unique design. It's a great idea. You have a hard shell kayak that turns, it's kind of like nesting dolls, and you end up, you go from a three and a half foot packed kayak that has its own backpack rig, and it folds out into a 14 foot tripping kayak yeah yeah they talk about um the folding kayaks and inflatable stand-up paddle boards and all that that could be stored in your closet but this is and this is one of the selling points is it's the hard shell yes now they're saying the kickstarter uh will begin mid-june which is like it's coming up in a week yeah, or two like a week or so um and they hope to raise the money to make the production runs a reality. They've done their uh, uh, prototypes and and everything. And you can you can go online. Uh, P-A-K-A-Y-A-K. -A 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 so P-A-Kayak, Pakayak, dot com. And you can see this thing. Uh, we'll point, we'll point, post a, a link on our Facebook page so you can check it out. Um, but it shows all the different things. And, and they shows you uh, there's a little interview they do and they talk about how it fits in tight together but each segment is held together by these clamps uh what he said 200 500 pounds 500 pounds each clamp foot 
so each joint is yeah, held together pressure. by four of them. So basically 2,000 2, pounds. Except for the front, very tip section of the front and the back is only three, only three. each. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like it's really strong. I, I have some reservations about it. I, I'd like to see it myself, but it seems like it's uh, it's it's going to be a strong joint, but whether it leaks or not is... Over uh, time. Yeah, over time. Because you know, it, anybody who has had a plastic canoe or... Royal X canoe or kayak or whatever they, they all the oil canning that get it from you leave it in the sun or it rests on a rack the wrong way then you get some oil canning so these plastic joints I'm wondering how firm they're going to be and how waterproof they're going to maintain but I guess you could put some weather stripping in the in the joint to help it seal yeah that'll be one of the uh, things that maybe they have to deal with farther down the line yeah as they age yeah. Um, you know, round two, round three, you know, upgrade the designs yep. and, and take all that. Um, they say that it doesn't skimp on standard sea kayak amenities. Two bulkheads keep front and back compartments watertight. There's a padded fold-up seat and seat back that will keep you out on the water longer. Also included adjustable foot braces, reflective safety lines, bungee deck rigging, front and back handles, and more. Uh, it can be used with a rudder, which is purchased separately. And as we were talking before, probably the uh, the paddle will be purchased separately as well. Yeah, the paddle, and you'd get, probably get a spray skirt separately as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, none of these actually show it with a spray skirt. No. Which you got to think is probably going to be along the lines. It's got the lip. It's got it, the rim yeah, the, nah, for yeah. the spray skirt to mount onto. Yeah. Um, when you see the picture of it online, when you go to the website, it's uh, and you see it together, it's a full-fledged sea kayak. It's uh, it looks like a, a decent design. I've paddled sea kayaks when I lived out west in British Columbia, and it's it's very similar to any of the sea kayaks that I've used. Although this is plastic, and I've paddled fiberglass back then in the day, but this is a full-fledged sea kayak. Now they're talking about. Um... The Kickstarter launching mid-June, the Bluefin 14 will be available if project meets its funding goal. And it's expected to retail at $1,695. And that's $1,695. And that, yeah, and that's US. Because uh, they're down, if I'm not mistaken, is it... They're doing the sea trials in Vermont? Vermont. Yeah. So the, that's where, if, if you see their videos where they're trialing these kayaks... They're, they say they're off of Florida, or the ocean off Florida. So they, they are trialing it now, or they've had been since February they got the samples in. Yeah. So they have four actual physical kayaks so far. Yeah. And uh, that's their demos. And uh, if the Kickstarter campaign is successful, they're going to go on to build many, many more. Now, one thing that they did mention was they are trying to... They're going to name each one of their models when they build a new model. The first one's a bluefin, um, named after the bluefin tuna. Yes. They're going to name it after um, animals that are endangered or at risk, which the bluefin tuna is. And this is why they've they've called it this. So they'll be, you know, they're, they're trying to bring the information to the people buying the, the kayaks and hopefully uh, throw some money into different charitable events uh, groups that are yes you know supporting so they want to be eco-friendly they're gonna yeah. they're, they're an outdoors couple it's a man and wife who have started this kickstarter campaign and they have their own ecological concerns and interests so obviously they're going to try and uh, start this company but as well help out their own uh, charitable organizations as they're they choose through the Kickstarter campaign and beyond when they do in a full-blown uh, manufacturing once the Kickstarter is complete. Yeah, they did do, back in February this year, they did a um, little news uh, interview. And that's one of the big things they said was their uh, a small carbon footprint, everything, you know, all their manufacturing in one spot, you know, certain materials and and everything just to, you know, keep that carbon footprint down be as environmentally friendly as possible. And that's one of their big goals because they are, what do they call themselves? Multi, multi-sport people. Yeah, they're multi-sport interest people. Yeah. And uh, they got a couple partners with them as well. So there's four of them in total. Uh, but you know what? It really seems like this is it's a pretty cool idea. And if you're into um, 
kayaking and, and you want something that's a bit different that you can, like I say, you throw it, it carrying sack that the three and a half foot unit fits into, allowing you to throw the yak over your shoulders and hike the boat to water. Well, you can go the, on the bus. Think of the convenience of that. Yeah. Like if you're going to travel out west and you're going to want to do some kayaking, you can bring your own kayak. Because normally you'd never bring a canoe or kayak if you went out west. You'd rent when you get out there. Yeah. So this is this makes you capable of, uh, let's say you live somewhere on the west coast. You could uh, throw it into the back of the vehicle and head down to San Francisco, paddle around the bay, throw it back in your car, head down to wherever, right? So this, it's so convenient. So, and it, it gets you out of the inflatable kayak. Yeah. You know what? I like, I like the, I like the, the fact that the inflatables and all that, yeah, they go really small. You can throw them in your closet yeah. or in a trunk or something, but one sharp rock, you know, too many yeah. or you're, you're, this is up this the is... creek without a paddle <laughs> or, without, <laughs> or a kayak. About, without a kayak. Yeah. Uh, so this sort of the, the, what gets this for me is the, the hard plastic shell. Yes. Right. And seeing just the bits on, on the, in the internet here, how it all fits together and, and the clamps they showed that they're using and, and whatnot. I think if this does retain its um, non-leak Yes, its seaworthiness. Yeah. I think, I think they've got something here. I think so too. And it, it's, uh, I think the price is, is kind of steep, but if you compare it to other sea kayaks, like this is actually cheap for as far as kayak goes. And that's just me being cheap. I, I just couldn't afford something like this. But anybody who's into kayaking, this is on the low end of the pay scale for getting a sea kayak. You can, you any modern sea kayak, you're paying in the range of three to $4,000. So this is... For as far as like uh, I'm not what's, I'm not sure the plastic, but it's along the lines of a plastic Rolex canoe or whatever. So this is actually it fits right into that price zone of what you'd expect for a 14 foot plastic kayak. But this has the convenience of it folds down into a three and a half foot package. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the selling point right exactly, there. Exactly. Yeah, it folds I, I, down. It's plastic. I suspect this is going to be quite popular. And the thing is that they all they'll have to get the word out so people can the hardest part is getting people who are interested in this type of thing being aware of it yes yes i, I think that's it's definitely half the battle. that that's definitely it and once it starts getting around i think people are going to wait to see i mean just i printed this off here there's 2760 shares already so i think that's that's uh yeah it's obviously popular already yeah yes. so go to pakayak.com p a K-A-Y-A-K, P-A-Kayak, Pakayak.com. Check it out. Uh, give them a read and follow a couple links there. We'll, like I say, we'll post uh, a link to their page on our, our Facebook page so you can check it out. And give them a look and let us know what you think. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. Derek, how many sleeping bags do you own? Oh. I don't know. I've got at least six or seven. That many? Yeah, I've got I've, I've I've collected a few over the years. Some I've purchased and never even used. Uh, there's a few that are my favorites. Um, the ones I haven't used, I, I went out and I bought and I, I came across it at an army surplus. It's a an entire outer shell, inner layer, and then inner inner layer of a, a U.S. military winter sleeping bag system. And it's the one I haven't used yet. I just, I keep going to my go-to ones, right? Yeah. Um, I had one that I used for, for years. It was big and it was bulky. And I, and, I mean, I got it because it was cheap. I could afford it. It was, uh, it's a decent one for summer sleeping. Um, now that winter's over and spring's here, there's still some cool nights, but it's getting warmer. Um, it's time to change from the winter and the cold weather 
sleeping bags to the warm sleeping bags. And I think we need to discuss um, sleeping on canoe trips or, you know, when, you, when you're out trips. there, any trips yes. that you're, you're out there. One of the big things is, is staying warm and staying comfortable when you're sleeping. Because a bad night's sleep in a tent or in a hammock or, or anything, it'll just kill you the next day. Yes, and it's really critical when you're talking shoulder seasons. Well, you know, of course, winter. But if you're talking spring and fall, it's, it's really critical to not ruin the trip and have to have some sort of emergency egress if you get your sleeping bag wet or whatever, right? Right. Now, <clears throat> the the cheaper ones are just man-made synthetic filled bags. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the cheap fill, the heavy fill. Like if you, uh, back in the day, I remember having a, a synthetic fill bag and it was like, the thing was like five pounds and it, it was like... Big, a, it was bulky, took up a lot yeah. of room in your in your pack. That one's gone. I threw that one away. Yeah, we still got one of those. We use that for guests when they come over or in the trailer. We got a few of those left in the trailer that, we, you know, when we're camping, a car camping or whatever, that's where they sit. The ones I take now are um, the down, down-filled. And they're warmer. They're light. They, they retain the heat. And uh, they compress small, really mm-hmm. small to fit in that pack. And that seems a lot of canoe trippers I know, that's what they, they tend to go with is the downed fill. There's just more pros with it. The only con that I know is it takes a long time to dry and it holds the humidity and, and dampness yes. and wet. With uh, And that's one of the... When it comes to sleep bags, I've always shied away from a, a down bag because... I was always aware of the fact that, you know, if you get a down bag wet, it's basically useless. And if it's going to take so much time to dry it out and refluff the feathers. Uh, with my main summer bag, it's a synthetic. It's an ultralight synthetic. My winter bag is a mix of synthetic and down. And uh, it's a happy medium between both worlds, right? Right. Uh, now, what shapes do you usually go with? Because there's I'm, three main, sh- there's the rectangle, which yes. is the, the go-to one. Yeah. There's a barrel, and then there's the mummy. I just got myself a, a, a rectangular bag for summer. For It's a like it's a plus five, plus ten bag, right? And that's the one that I'm looking forward to using this summer. But my previous ones have been mummy bags. But I, I feel really constricted in a mummy bag. Yeah. If that's... I can't bend my knees without bending the sleep bag, I just kind of start to freak out in the middle of the night. So I end up having to stick a leg out type thing. And it's... it's uh, yeah, it's, it, I find the mummy bags are uncomfortable for me. No, you know what? I, I, I understand what you're saying. Now, I got the mummy bag, um, and I like it because it co- can cover your head, mm-hmm. and you lose a lot of heat through your head. 30 to 50% of the heat is through your neck and head. Yeah, and this thing has, yeah, you can tie it up so just your face is sticking out or just your nose. Now, I've had my, my mummy bag uh, winter camping, and yeah, all, all you're seeing is my nose yes. <laughs> sticking out, right? <laughs> Retains a lot of heat. It does. It's and good. It's, oh, nice and comfortable. Um, but I also have a Eureka Spitfire Solo tent, which is pretty much the same shape as the mummy bag. Oh, okay. So you're kind of fitting in. You're yeah. in this little tiny bag and a little tiny tent. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's perfect for that sort of thing. Um, but it's really important that you stay warm when you're when you're out there in the evenings because if if you can't get that good sleep you're just you're not going to have a good time even comes down to survival yeah now there was um a thing that that i know you had talking about what you should do before even going to bed yes yes and and i was something i came across recently it was uh i was looking for technique techniques of staying warm in the backcountry and and one thing i found i hadn't really thought about but it's uh once when you first crawl into your sleeping bag at night you're automatically losing a lot of heat as you warm up the bag itself and uh i know you know when i was a kid i'm in middle of winter in the drafty farmhouse my mom used to throw all of our bed sheets into the dryer to warm them up before we went to sleep so it was uh for camping though it's like you start to, you do a little bit of an exercise regimen just prior to crawling into the bag. 
you preheat yourself to get into the bag and you, you, you lose the heat that you've increased just prior to crawling in. And, uh, but as far as sleeping warm, you want to buy a proper rated bag for the expected weather. So if you're in a shoulder season or whatever, you're, you're expecting a minus five degree temperatures or minus 10. And we're talking Celsius for anybody who's, uh, listening from the States. So you want to get the right bag for the expected weather. You don't want to have a plus 10 bag and minus 10 weather. You just, you're asking for trouble. Like I said, exercise briefly before getting in the bag to increase your temperature to counter entering a cold bag. Uh, and, and I hadn't really thought about this one, but you automatically go go to the bathroom before you go uh, to bed. But it's uh, one of the things that came across is you you pee before you go to bed. That way your body's not trying to keep your full bladder warm as well as the rest of your body. So there's that extra liquid mass that you just get rid of before you sleep. And uh, wear, of course, wear a toque. I'm always wearing a toque in, in shoulder seasons in winter. And uh, also you can... You can pack your uh, spare clothing either under your bag for extra insulating layer or in the bag. And one thing that I normally do is uh, the clothes that I wear during the day, I stick them down by my feet so that my feet, the heat that gives comes off my feet will help dry the clothes and off gas the clothes and keep the clothes warm for the first thing in the morning when you want to get redressed again. Yeah, that's, that's a trick I learned ages ago was whatever you're going to wear tomorrow, Put in your sleeping bag. Yeah. Especially when it, like, if we're, we're talking the shoulder seasons or, you know, when it's getting cold. Because the last thing you want to do is be digging through your bag for clothes. Yes. First thing in the morning. And freezing. You want nice, warm clothes. And your clothes will be cold, too, if they're stuck in the bag all night. Yes. Right? Your exactly. backpack. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's something I learned ages ago. But you say stick uh, clothes in that under, for, under your bag for extra... Um, for more insulation. More insulation that. But we're the, that that's for winter camping. If uh, if you're you're on your thermorest, you're in your bag on your thermorest, you can throw some extra packs and gear between the thermorest and the layer of snow underneath. Just to add that extra buffering layer to keep the cold of the ground away from you. Well, that brings up the next question: is besides the sleeping bag, choosing the proper sleeping bag for where where you're going in the time of season. What about a sleeping pad? Yes. Now. Up until about six years ago, I guess, um, I've always slept right on the ground. Oh, yeah? I've never had. Well, in winter, we had the blue foamies. Yes. Right? And you can get the blue foamy pad with the uh, the silver reflective mm-hmm. on the one side. That was basically my first one. It was but like a... I got tired show. of carrying that around. So yeah, I just they're both throw my, my sleeping bag right on the floor of the tent. And I've always slept that way. Till I ended up going down the stairs over a cat one day and hurting my back. And then I you noticed the cold soft, grand, <laughs> the, the cold ground started to uh, bother my back yes. a bit. So I, I ended up getting a, a thermo rest. Um, now I've seen the big air mattresses, which just aren't. No. They're, they're too big. A car camping air mattress. Exactly. Yeah. And they got the different types of thermo rest. Now my thermo rest I use like my tent and my sleeping bag is tapered at the bottom. So it's what, six feet long, I think. And, uh, yeah, it's tapered. So my mummy bag sits right on top of it and it fits mm-hmm. nicely in my, uh, my Spitfire tent. Um, now for regular summer camping, yeah, the foamy pad or a nice light thermo rest. Something light, something like I, I, a nice thick thermorest. Because I'm a side sleeper, so I need something I can sink into. Right. But yeah. with with pads, I'm I'm constantly amazed with what they're coming up with now for for sleeping pads, with uh, down filled for extra warmth retention in the shoulder seasons and winter. And there's there's some really amazing bags and, and equipment that they're coming up with now. Yeah, and I mean, you if you get yourself a good sleeping system, that makes all the difference. Yes. You know, and you, you you find out where you're going, the season you're going in, and pair a sleeping bag and a sleeping pad together. And you shouldn't have any problems at all. Yeah, and when it comes down to it, one third of your day out there, you're in your sleeping bag, sleeping in your tent. So it's it's a critical part of your gear and your setup. One of the uh, things I noticed from Thermarest now, um, and I haven't seen it, and I don't know that it's 
up this way yet. Um, the speed valve. Uh, it's a big bag that uh, you just um, um, open up the end. There's a giant hole at the end and you fill it and you roll it and it closes. And it's a reversed, it, it, you have to go online and, and check it out. A yeah. Thermarest speed valve, it's, it's, it's different. Uh, but it's, it's, they say it's three to four times faster inflate and instant deflation. It's yeah. a really cool system. It really is. And it, nice and thick and it, it rolls right down into a nice small pack and uh, you get that along with a nice comfortable sleeping bag. And I think you're, you're, you're set. set. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely is. And before you just go out and buy a sleeping bag, definitely check out the pros and cons. Um, like I say, I'm more towards the down because I like how, how small it gets and how warm it keeps you. But again, if, if you get soaked, that that's it. Exactly. You know, whereas the other ones, the, the synthetic, it's big, it's bulky. And when you're loading up that backpack to go on a portage and you got that thing taking up half your bag. <laughs> exactly. You don't, last thing you want to do is halfway through the trip decide you want to burn your sleeping bag because it's too heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So do some research and uh, find out what's out there. Um, the thing, uh, another thing before we end this one is uh, with your sleeping bags, you can look at liners. Yes. You can get liners. That's one thing I've never um, used. I is bought a bag a liner. liner. I actually bought one. I've never used it. I've tested it at home. I slept in it one night at home just to test it out. But I, I don't, I don't know if you want to call it perspire. But I off gas a lot at night, and so it's I, not perspire. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. The humidity that comes off my body. I, I'm the uh, the liner bag that I, you put inside. Unless I get the silk one, I'm just. Get kind of like I'm in a, oh, I'm like in a baggie or something. <laughs> um, no, I've, I've never, I've never used one. I've never, never had one, never purchased one, never even thought about buying them. Well, the but, theory behind it is you're trying to push the condensation point further away from your body. So mm -hmm. instead of the humidity condensing at your skin, it's going to start going further and the, the, the pressure of the humidity moving away from your body, by the time it condenses, it's like five layers out. So the inner liner shell or outer liner shell, it's all new techniques. You know, a lot of people, they layer the clothing. You get your inner layer, your merino wool, your sweater, your jacket, your exterior shell. It's all these layering. It all comes down to technique and technology. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know what? You, you go to one of the big stores and check out, like you go to Sale or Mountain Equipment Co-op or something like that, and check out what they've got for the sleeping bags and and the type of. If it's not, it's not everybody has the money to go buy a winter bag and a spring bag and a and a summer bag, and you try to get the the three season bag, which is spring, summer, fall. Yes. You know, um, go for something that you're you're going to use the majority of the time, right? And look at getting. A sleeping pad to go with it. Um, they've come down in price over the years, and uh, there's a lot more to choose from now too. And, and you don't have to spend a lot of money. There's a lot of stuff out there that is cost efficient. You just have to find the right item that works for you. Yeah, no, no. Just go out there, figure out what kind of of uh, sleeping you're going to be doing, and grab yourself a, a good bag, grab yourself a good pad, and enjoying a good night's sleep. And now for our weekly update for upcoming events. Since 2006, the Real Paddling Film Festival has been showcasing the very best in paddling films. The tour screens in more than 120 cities around the world and may be coming soon to a location near you. On June 10th, Canmore, Alberta at the Black Box Theatre, hosted by Sawback Alpine Adventure and Bow Valley Kayak Club. Visit realpaddlingfilmfestival.com for times and locations. Mountain Equipment Co-op Toronto Paddle Fest 2016 runs June 11th through 12th at the Sunnyside Beach in Toronto. Come out and find gear and get tips for stand-up paddleboard, kayaking, and canoeing. Meet fellow paddlers and demo anything that floats. Visit events.mec.ca for more information. The Boundary Waters Expo runs June 11th through 12th 
in Cook County, Minnesota. Your Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness Adventure starts here. Features speakers, exhibitors, gear demos, and a campfire discussion led by Cliff Jacobson. It is being held at the Seagull Lake Public Landing on the Gunflint Trail. Visit cookcounty.com for more details. National Paddling Week, June 10th through 19th. National Paddling Week wants to encourage as many Canadians as possible to get into a canoe, a kayak, or get onto a board and be counted during this extended week to show our national commitment to the fun, the benefit, and the challenge of paddling. Check paddleweek.ca for events near you. Paddlepalooza, June 24th, 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. at the Monarch Tavern in Toronto. Come out to the Monarch Tavern for live music and help raise funds to send youth on a canoe trip this summer. This event is in support of Project Canoe. Go to canoe.org and look under events for more details. And finally, National Canoe Day in Canada. On June 26th, people and groups across Canada come together on or around June 26th every year to celebrate canoeing and paddle sports. How will you be celebrating? Visit nationalcanoeday.net for more details. You've been listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For more information, you can find us on the web at paddlingadventuresradio.com. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>